My name is Kevin, and we'll now be uh, reading today's passage in the scriptures from John chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 15. Uh, please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I, am, I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will, no long, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, this is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. Uh, thank you, worship team, for uh, just that wonderful set, uh, just listening to the Christmas songs, I, I realized, and also because I had a peppermint mocha today. Um, Christmas is here. It was, it was delicious. Anyways, um, <clears throat> we want to warmly greet those that are new and visiting for the first time, and for those that are joining us online, uh, we want to welcome you, and I hope that you'll be blessed uh, not only by the preaching of God's word, but just through the, uh, the fellowship of the worship that we'll have together. Now, um, there's something that has become uh, very familiar within our world and our culture, uh, and it's really the uh, unfortunate existence of something that people refer to as cancel culture, right? The idea of canceling someone, um, you know, whether it's a celebrity or a company or an entity or organization, I think it started out with great intentions. It was this idea of wanting to hold people accountable for their actions, especially those that it, it seemed like there was no accountability in place uh, for them. And, and so uh, I think in the beginning, especially with the rise of the internet, there was a lot of, uh, you know, people being called out for uh, mis mis uh, you know, inappropriate behaviors or inappropriate things that they are saying or that they were doing. Uh, and, but eventually it kind of morphed into this um, kind of a, a whole other cr uh, creature where now uh, just about anyone can be canceled. And I think, whereas before it was more aimed at, uh, you know, famous people, people with power or organizations or companies, uh, now a lot of like just ordinary people are being canceled uh, and are being canceled, right? And when I first, um, when it first kind of started, I, I loved it. it. It was like, it felt like justice. It felt like people were uh, being called out for things that they were doing and saying. And then like, I, you know, I, I kind of started getting happy when like they started getting fired from their jobs, you know, and you know, like people uh, that had small businesses, like you go to their Yelp page after one of their videos go viral and you see like all the negative reviews and all the negative comments and you're like, yeah, that's what they get, right? Uh, but really, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of a, a, um, a very disproportionate 
amount of punishment or, or accountability uh, when things like these happen, right? A, a lot of times it really depends on um, the culture of the day. The standard of morality changes depending on culture and depending on ge- geography and depending on where you live. And so a lot of people are being uh, punished for things that maybe, you know, 50 years ago it not, might not have been that big a deal. And so when we think about cancel culture, I think it also kind of bleeds into the mentality for us as Christians where we start living our lives with fear or with anxiety, thinking that and believing um, that the things that we actually believe and stand for are things that can, quote unquote, get us canceled. Now, it's not something that I I don't think a lot of us will go viral and people aren't going to like flood our our social media pages and, 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 you know, you know, try to get us fired and like that. But I think there's subtle ways where maybe especially here in the Silicon Valley, here in the Bay Area, where we might feel that the very uh, core tenets of our beliefs in our faith and beliefs in what we believe who Jesus Christ is and what the Bible teaches and what the Bible, uh, you know, prescribes for us and how we ought to live, that maybe uh, proclaiming those things or sharing those thoughts or living by those values will in, in a way kind of uh, affect our lives, uh, that we will be able to, uh, or that we may be able to encounter um, persecution or maybe a little bit of, of distance because of what we believe in. Now, and I think this is the thing that we have to understand is that um, this is not anything new uh, to Christian belief, that the, the idea of being canceled is something that Jesus taught from the very beginning. Uh, you know, the fact that our Lord and Savior was, he himself was quote unquote canceled, right? He was arrested, he was, he was beaten, he was tried, he was murdered uh, for the very things that he believed in, that he said, and that he taught. And, and for us as Christians and followers of Christ, um, those very things are, are taught to us that if he, if the world hates me, how much more will they hate you? So the question that we have now as we continue on this sermon series of the book of John is that if we believe that Jesus is the son of God, if we believe that we have eternal life through that belief in his, in, in his lordship and in his, in his deity, uh, then how ought we to face the problems and the difficulties and the trials of this life? How do we gain confidence? How do we gain conviction? And, and how do we gain the guidance and counseling to live this life according to how God has called us to live? and not according to how the world teaches and prescribes us to live. And it really comes down to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This idea that Jesus, when he ascends into heaven, as he resurrected from the dead, that he does not leave us alone by ourselves, but he promises to send a helper, one who will guide us in this life. And and that's really what we are going to uh, encounter today in this passage. The question that opposes the solution to to really living our lives according to the tenets of, of, of our Christian beliefs is to, be under, is to understand that we have a minister, we have a helper in the Holy Spirit that will guide us through this life. So today we're gonna to see how the Holy Spirit gives us confidence in this life, how the Holy Spirit uh, gives us conviction in this life, and lastly, how the Holy Spirit counsels us through this life. So the first point is this, that the Holy Spirit gives us confidence to live this life. Now, when we continue on in this story of Jesus and his disciples, um, they're, you know, sitting down, they're uh, eating the Passover dinner, and, you know, as he's about to, uh, you know, be arrested and crucified and sent to his death, he is kind of giving his last, you know, words to the disciples, and, and he's saying, you know, very important things. You know, he says, Judas, you're going to betray me. Uh, Peter, you're going to deny me. You, I know you think you're all that, but you're going to deny me three times. He, he starts telling them that, hey, be, be careful. Like, you know, if the world hates me, how much more are they going to hate you? Uh, and he starts warning them uh, about what is to come. 
And as he uh, has this conversation, he reminds them and he tells them that he will be sending a helper, the helper in the Holy Spirit. And he promises that this helper will be with them forever. Now, another reason why I think this message is going to be very important for us as a church is because, you know, just from my theological background, we spend a lot of time focusing on the Bible and and, and Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I think, you know, unfortunately, uh, we focus very little on the the, the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that today can really be the beginning where we think about uh, the fact that the presence of the Holy Spirit is promised to us to be with us forever. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples. But the impact of this message doesn't really land quite well with the disciples. The the very focus and and the very teaching of Jesus, as he promises the disciples that as I go away, that I will send the helper in my place to be with you forever, uh, the impact uh, it has on the disciples is actually opposite of what, what we should expect. Instead of the disciples being excited about this helper that is to come, what ends up happening is that they become sorrowful and almost fearful. And, and there's a reason why, right? Um, and, and Jesus kind of calls them out. In, in, in chapter 16, verse 5 and 6, he says, none of you are asking where you are going, but because I have said these things, he says, sorrow has filled your heart. And, and there's, you know, obviously because Jesus said right before that, he said, hey, they will put you out of the synagogues. Uh, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So there's no surprise why the disciples are are fearful and sorrowful. Basically, Jesus said, like, after I go, like, people are going to want to persecute you. They're going to want to kill you. And when they do so, they're going to think that they're doing the will of God. But the disciples, uh, again, it, it kind of points to the nature of humanity and our selfishness, our desire to always look inward. As Jesus is explaining these things, um, he calls them out and says, you're not asking about me where I'm going. You're only thinking about the looming persecution. You're only thinking about the hardships that might await you. And therefore, your hearts are filled with sorrow. But he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus' words are always true. And the thing that he communicates here to the disciples is this. He says, it is to your advantage that I leave. Because unless I leave, I will not be able to send to you the Holy Spirit that will ever be present in your life forever. The Holy Spirit that will continually counsel you, minister to you, to provide you with the power and confidence to face the trials and tribulations of this life. Now, I don't know about you, but every time... um, you know, something hard or difficult happens or, or something doesn't go my way, I'm always thinking, man, Jesus, if Jesus was here, things would be better. It'd be so much easier to follow Jesus if he was just right here. And that's basically what the disciples are thinking. And he, and he corrects their, their error in thinking. He says, no, it's to your advantage that I leave. Because by leaving, I give you something greater, a, a spirit that will always be with you. A spirit that is always ministering to you, speaking truth into you, ever present in your life. And that is the confidence that the disciples will gain once the Holy Spirit comes to them at Pentecost. Now, they don't understand it quite yet because they have not yet received the Spirit. But when we see the difference in their life, 
pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost. And Pentecost, for those that may not know, is the event where the Holy Spirit is, is finally sent down upon all those that have faith in Jesus. Before Pentecost, the disciples, what were they doing? They were scared. They barricaded themselves in rooms. They were hiding because they were in fear for their lives. What happened once the Spirit comes? They are filled with the confidence and boldness that we have, you know, we'd be, we just admire in them. These disciples who were once so fearful, disciples like, like Thomas who were ever doubting the reality of the resurrection, disciples like Peter who would deny his knowledge of and relationship with Jesus, even to a young, young female, now are people who are filled with the confidence to go out in boldness to share the truth of the gospel even at the expense and the cost of their own lives. Many of these disciples who were once fearful died as martyrs. Legend has it that Peter was crucified upside down, and that's how he died. Uh, I don't know the physiology of what that, what that feels like, but have you ever, like, been upside down for a little bit? Like, two, your, your face feels like it's going to explode, right? Imagine, that, that's, that's a horrible death, right? Many of them were beheaded. Many of them were stoned. Many of them were beaten to death, and yet they were able to do so because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit gives them confidence to face the struggles of this world. Now, I don't want to trivialize, and I don't want to kind of overemphasize this idea of Christians being persecuted, especially because we live in the United States. You know, um, let's be real. We, we don't really face, like, real persecution, okay? Uh, we, we don't have to worry about, like, our death. And, and even here in the Bay Area, I would go as far as to say that as a Christian in America here in the Bay Area, we, we are very privileged. What we may face are you know, little microaggressions or even just kind of internal, uh, uh, internal feelings that maybe we won't be accepted. And, and those are, I, I think, real, real uh, um, you know, hardships that we might be going through. Potential ideas of, of wondering, oh, what are people going to think about me if they know that I am a believer in Jesus Christ? How will people treat me differently if I am a little bit more vocal about what I'm doing on Sundays? Uh, will my manager, or will my team, will they think that I'm less intelligent because of the things that I actually believe are true? Now, these are little, little things that I think uh, are in comparison to maybe other parts of the world or even what the disciples experienced in their life. It might pale in comparison, but that's the reality of what we live in. And yet, the Holy Spirit provides confidence even for those things that we may struggle with. This idea that we can be a little bit more bold about our values, a little bit more about what we actually believe in. And the fear of being canceled, you know, and, and again, I use that term very, very loosely, the fear of being canceled because of our faith uh, is really nothing compared to what Christ experienced. And it should be no surprise that the world would hate us, that the world would be against us. Now, one of the ways I believe that we can gain this confidence uh, and, and this is where I'm going to give a little plug for our Tuesday night prayer meeting. Um, really, having a robust and even just an effort in wanting to have a, a, a more uh, powerful prayer life begins not because you have a powerful prayer life, but begins by when you actually start praying. And we, uh, uh, we don't really pray that much. And I say we, when I, myself included, because we are very self-sufficient. We live in a culture in an area where we, we have uh, achieved great things and a lot of things on our own merit. And so prayer is, is oftentimes the last resort. 
But in order for us to gain the confidence of understanding that we are empowered and, and in this life through the Holy Spirit, we must pray and acknowledge our deficiencies, acknowledge our fears, acknowledge our anxiety, acknowledge the fact that we don't have confidence to live in boldness in the truth of who Jesus is because we are human. So come pray with us on Tuesday. That's one practical application I could give to you, all right? And if, you know, World Cup's going around, like, I know some of you guys woke up very early to watch games, you know, so it's not a matter of waking up early, right? It's not a matter of time. We waste time all the time. You just don't want to pray. Second, um, the Holy Spirit gives us conviction in this life, right? And not only does the Holy Spirit give us confidence in this life, to face the difficulties and the trials and, and the things that might be working against us, but the Holy Spirit also has the power to convict not only the world, but also us of the wrong ideas that we have about sin, righteousness, and judgment, okay? So uh, again, Jesus, as John writes, says this, says when he comes, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so what does that actually mean? This word conviction, uh, is the word uh, elen, elencho or elenko in Greek. And it's used in the New Testament 17 times. And in other cases, uh, this word is used as a way to expose someone's sin. So when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of its sin, righteousness, and judgment, what he is saying is that he is here to expose our wrong ideas about what sin is, to expose the wrong ideas of what we believe righteousness is, and to expose the wrong ideas of who, it's, who is to be judged. And, and Jesus makes this clear in his next verse. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The main sin that Jesus is concerned with is the sin of unbelief. He's gonna convict the world of this sin. Uh, he says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And the wrong idea that he is exposing about the world is the world believed that Jesus was unrighteous. The religious leaders were adamant that this man was someone who was breaking the laws of God. That he was eating with sinners, that he was eating with prostitutes, that the things that he was saying was blasphemous. But he's saying, no, once the Holy Spirit comes, they will be convicted that what they thought was righteousness was unrighteousness. And it will prove my righteousness, for I go to the Father, and I no longer will be here. And he says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. See, he exposes the misjudgment of Jesus Christ. He says, the world thought they were doing right by judging me, by putting me on trial, by putting me on the cross. But through that very event of me being crucified on the cross, what is actually happening is that the world, the ruler of the world is judged. For God has called me righteous. He puts me at the right hand of the Father, whereas the world is being judged by the righteousness of God and his commandments. And not only, and, and this is the thing, as, as the Holy Spirit convicts the world of these things, we as believers are also convicted of these things. We are convicted by the Holy Spirit that oftentimes our natural tendency is to believe what the world teaches what sin is. 
And a lot of times our belief of what is true and right and what is wrong uh, bleeds into the cultural belief of what the world prescribes. What we believe is righteousness also kind of bleeds into the same thing with the, and, and so as the, as the Holy Spirit ministers to us, we as Christians also need this conviction. Also need to understand and be reminded and to be told through the power of the Holy Spirit what is actually sin, what is actually righteousness, and what is actual right judgment. Another thing about this conviction is this. Um, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts unbelievers about the truth of who Jesus is. That should alleviate such a huge burden off of us. Because the work of convicting someone about the truth of Jesus Christ is not on us. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to proclaim. We are called to share the gospel of, of Jesus and, and what we believe is true. But it is not our job to convince them. The work of salvation and the work of, of turning a heart of stone into a heart of flesh can only occur through the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I learned this very, very practically. The first time I, I quote unquote led someone to Christ, it was in college, you know, and, he, and he's a, a you know, faithful believer now and, and he's a close friend of mine. Uh, I had a conversation with him and I don't even remember what I said. You know, and I didn't even know at the time that I had, you know, I hadn't made an impact on his life. But at the end of the school year, he like, you know, shared with, you know, our little parachurch ministry. He's like, you know, I had a conversation with Jay and, and he said these things and, and it really helped me to believe in Jesus. And I was like, oh, I did that? I was like, dude, I'm awesome. So after that, I, I went around, I started telling people like, and I started using the same words, you know, trying to, you know, use the same stories and analogies. And I'm like, this guy for sure is going to be a Christian now. And they, and they didn't. I was like, what, what's wrong with me? I was like, why isn't it working? You know, and I had another conversation with somebody on a mission trip, and I don't even know what I said. I probably said something not even that important. But then at the end of it, she started crying, and then she, you know, she like wanted to you know, turn her life to Christ. And I was like, what the heck? I said nothing. And, and I realized it wasn't me. I ain't convincing anybody. I ain't convincing anybody. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will convict the world of the reality of who Jesus is. Our job is to speak truth. Our job is to be witnesses in love. Our job is, is, is to be people who love others as Christ loved us. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is the power that will convince and convert people to understand and to glorify who Jesus is. That should give us great confidence to live our lives in boldness as followers of Jesus Christ. Lastly, and this is, I'm going to be spending the bulk of, of the time here. The Holy Spirit gives us counsel for this life. And the Holy Spirit gives us counsel for this life. The word Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. Uh, it literally means the helper or counselor or tutor, right? Uh, and, and as uh, the Holy Spirit is in our lives, it, it, he, he guides us. He, he, he teaches us, he tutors us, he mentors us, he counsels us through the very hardships of, of life so that we are able to apply what Christ has taught us to live it out in, in, in our lives today. And the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is more important than ever, I think, in our culture because um, the culture of self-therapy is so adamant in, in everything that we kind of hear these days, right? Uh, now... Here's the thing, 
The biggest enemy and adversary of biblical truth is not blatant lies. It's the lies that almost sound like truth, right? If we believe that our biggest enemy is, is, is a, a red devil with a tail and a trident and horns, and he's like, ah, follow me, like, we ain't gonna follow that, right? Right? If we saw like a demon, he's like, ah, follow me, worship me. We're like, oh, I wanna, no, we're like, ew, gross. We're not gonna worship that. What we're gonna worship are, are, are things that are disguised as angels of light. What we are gonna follow are things that almost sound biblical and true and righteous and good. But in the end, there's a small distinction or there's a, a, a small divergence from actual truth, so it becomes direct opposition to the truth of God. We saw that with Adam and Eve. The serpent didn't come and be like, ah, you know, like, hate God. No, he's like, hey, did God really say that? Right? It, it's these subtle lies that take us away from the truth of who God is. And what the culture does is very smart. And the, I mean, Satan is very smart. He's not going to teach us, like, oh, just be, like, you know, be evil and, and hate, hate everybody. No, he says, no. Hey, what's good is your mental health. What is good is for you to be safe. What is good is for you to be a, a person who protects the mental health and safety of yourself so that you can help others. Now, it, it, those things are almost true. Okay. Now, Pastor Eugene, he sent me uh, two articles. Uh, one is from Christianity Today. The other is from New York Times. Uh, the article from Christianity Today uh, is titled, There is no such thing as a safe space. And the uh, article from New York Times is um, titled, The Problem with Letting Therapy Speak Invade Everything. Now, in the first article, the author points out that we are living in a culture that seeks safety in human relationships and every aspect of our lives above all things. Okay. Now, I want to be very clear. Um, being safe, especially for those that have felt uh, the trauma of abuse, uh, you know, th those are all very valid and very important things. But what ends up happening is that as we make this conversation or make these uh, terms and, and these ideas more, uh, you know, broader to everybody, uh, we become people who become so focused only on our own safety that we become inward focused. We become people who, are, who prioritize our own well-being and safety to the point where that if anything, whether relationally or whether in our, in our workplace or whether in our, in our churches, if anything feels offensive or painful or, or hurtful, that we are told it is okay to cut that out of our lives because the priority is your safety. The priority is your own safe space. So people would be, uh, would, would, you know, kind of see it as a, a noble for you to cut off the toxicity in a certain relationship. Cut out the things that are toxic in your life, right? And again, I'm gonna be very clear, there's a good and important part of us being able to recognize what is truly toxic and what are discomforts and things that are being placed in your life to stretch and grow you. Because of everything being about safe places, what this author, I think, powerfully points out is that now we have become a people where the very moment a conflict occurs, the very moment 
discomfort arises, the very moment you feel wounded, the very moment you feel that your safe space has been invited by another person, that it is right and good for you to no longer associate with them. That sounds kind of right, but let's, let's put that against the Bible. No, the Bible speaks of forgiveness, right? How many times should we forgive those that offended us? Jesus says 70 times seven, right? Well, what is the very ministry of, of the gospel? What is the ministry of reconciliation? The majority of the New Testament, both in the gospels and the epistles, talks about what? How we ought to relate to one another in a way where we are gracious towards one another, even through conflict and pain, and even when people may sin against us. And what the ministry of the Holy Spirit does is it speaks these truths to us when all around us teaches us something opposite. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus is very clear. He says, the Holy Spirit will speak nothing that I have not spoken to you. The Holy Spirit will speak truth into you. Now, this other article in the New York Times, um, the problem with letting therapy speak invade everything. I, I really believe this is true. Right? The, uh, the author, um, I'm going to just read this quote. It says this, increased awareness of the importance of mental health is no bad thing, especially in the aftermath of a punishing pandemic. But in many cases, the prevalence of what the New, uh, what New, Yorker, um, the New Yorkers, Katie Waldman, has termed Instagram therapy has exasperated a broader cultural trend toward solipism, masquerading as self-care. I don't even know if I'm saying solipism right. I was like, what is solipism? I have to look it up. This is a definition of solipism. Extreme preoccupation with and indulgence of one's feelings, desires. Egoistic self-absorption. I was like, oh my goodness, that's me, right? And, and what the author is pointing out is like, this idea of therapy speak, speak has invaded everything to the point where we are being taught that self-care, and it's masqueraded as self-care, but the reality is, is that we, have, we are trying to give each other permission to only think about yourself, to only think about your own selfish desires and needs, so that when you cancel plans, when you decide to you know, I'm gonna take a, a personal day and forget all my responsibilities and just take care of myself, that that is seen as good. That that is seen as something that we should be participating in. And the author goes on to say, the idea of self-care in turn has been largely divorced from its links to activism and is now often used to frame individual pleasurable actions like taking a bubble bath or canceling plans as morally worthy, even necessary. The exhortation to take care of ourselves, to protect our mental well-being at any cost has become a mantra for a new, newly dominant ideology. What our culture has taught us now, and it's so blatant if you think about it, is this idea that it is okay for you to be selfish. That it is okay for you to only think about yourself. That it is okay for you to take care of yourself at the expense and cost of those around you. And it was accelerated by the pandemic. Because what did the pandemic do? It told us 
to think about yourself, to quarantine, to not relate to others, to not associate with others, that keeping yourself distant from other people was actually good, right? You're not going to infect them. They're not going to infect you. Now, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've really been kind of, um, uh, I think, struggling spiritually and mentally and emotionally the last couple months. And uh, it was this preparation of this sermon that made me realize what the real issue was. And it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit that was speaking truth into me that made me realize what my real issue was. It was this idea, because of the pandemic, I was given permission to really be selfish, to only think about myself, to barricade myself in my home and, not to, and to relate with the people around me at a very minimal level, okay? And the reason why is because, hey, COVID. Like, hey, hey new, new world, new, new culture now, you know? And whenever I felt that I had to relate to somebody in a, in a way that might be uncomfortable to me, I'm like, ah, that's, that's not good for my, my, my mental health. I'm not gonna do that. You know, so I, I started creating thicker boundaries I started creating, a, 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 and I started justifying my actions by saying, no, this is actually good. I'm supposed to be acting like this. And I think by doing so, I was not creating a safe space for myself. I was actually putting myself further away from the safety of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the safety of living according to how God has called us to live. God does not call us to live away from conflict, away from relationships, away from the people and things that might be difficult for us. He calls us perhaps to live in those things through the power of the ultimate counselor and minister, the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that as a church, um, one of the things that we are experiencing now that we are kind of really kind of coming out of COVID is, is basically what I've shared as well. That we are prone to think mainly of our own needs and our own desires. That we are prone to think selfishly about our priorities and the things that make us feel comfortable and to make us feel good. And you know what makes Christians really feel good if you're a Christian? Focusing on ministries and doing things that Christians like to do. And you know what Christians don't like to do? Think about people outside of these walls. So we become more inward focused. We become more, we, we think about uh, in-reach things, opportunities and ministries that are, are gonna nurture only us and our church. And we think less about the people on the peripheral. We think less about the people who are outside of these walls, less about the people who are outside in this community who are seeking something more in this life. And, and we are failing at engaging with them because we are still in this quarantine pandemic mentality which has taught us let's only care about our own safety and our own mental state. So for us, I think it's very important for us uh, to think about what does the Bible actually speak to us and teach us, right? Uh, and I think the Holy Spirit is very clear. He will only speak what Jesus has spoken. The Bible calls us to love one another as Christ loved us, right? And think about that. That means that we're loving people who are, might be enemies to us, right? He calls us to make disciples of all nations, 
to evangelize, to share, to proclaim the truth of who God is. He calls us to share within, with, uh, in each other's burdens. That means it's a very dis- uncomfortable situation that we might have to put ourselves in in relation to other Christians and non-Christians. He calls us to forgive one another. Not to just cut people out of our lives, but to reconcile and to forgive. And he does all these things, and he speaks these things because his desire is to glorify Jesus. Right? Verse 14, it says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the way that we glorify Jesus is the exact same thing, that we take what is his and we declare it to those around us. The Spirit glorifies Jesus when he declares truth to us, and we glorify Jesus when we declare truth to others. So as we think and meditate upon that, we're going to continue on in our service with uh, the Lord's Supper.